and welcome to Bible study this morning as we continue our study of First Corinthians. We're glad that you're all here and we've never had that before, but all right, 23. And we've heard this verse before because it was quoted back in chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Now, he's been discussing extensively the last couple of chapters, the topic of Christian freedom. It can cause problems for others when you exercise your Christian freedom. And so there are a couple of more questions that they had in, in Corinth about this whole thing of food being offered to idols and whether or not they could partake of it. So he's going to deal with that once again. And so uh, he, he goes on and says, no longer seek yourself, but the other. In other words, don't seek your own advantage. Seek what is best for the other person. For the other person. If your Christian freedom serves another person, that's good. But if it harms them, don't. And then he begins to answer their questions. Okay. Eat whatever you buy in the marketplace. No longer inquire for conscience' sake. In other words, one of their questions was, okay, we know we're not supposed to go eat in an idol's temple and eat the meat sacrificed to idols. It's going to be a poor witness. But, now they say, when we go to the marketplace and there's all that meat there, we know that some of it has been offered in sacrifice to an idol. What do we do? Paul says, just eat it and don't ask. Just eat it and don't ask. Now, the Jews would have been required to ask. Not only culture law, but so the Jews would naturally inquire about it. He's telling them, don't worry about it, just eat it. Because he says then, he quotes from Psalm 24, 1. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay? This, uh... Someone invites you an unbeliever invites you and you wish to go, everything that is set before you, eat it, 
and you don't have to inquire for conscience. Okay? It's this memory pack. Got this, this uh, two questions. What do we do about the meat that's in the market? And what do we do if we're asked to an unbeliever's house? And basically, he says, just eat it and don't worry about it. But then he adds a proviso. Now, Paul has made it clear, and let me read another passage here um, from, uh, I want to read this. This is from 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verses 4 and 5. Um, For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is to be if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So here's what he's teaching. Idols are nothing. Food offered to idols are nothing. Uh, when you're out, don't worry about it. Uh, because when everything belongs to God. And when you give thanks to God for it, it is as the passage says, it's holy. Okay? It's holy. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That is the passage that is the basis for the fact that we pray before meals. This is it. Okay? This is it. So don't worry about this stuff. And then he issues a proviso. Then he issues a proviso as we go into verse 28. But if someone says to you, this is, uh, or this was sacrifice to an idol, then do not eat for uh, the conscience of the one who told you. The conscience of the one who told you. He is anticipating here that the person who told you that is a Christian. Don't eat it if they're making deal out of it. Because it might offend either them, maybe one of the servants is a Christian. They can't deal with it. So he's saying, don't eat of it. Don't eat of it. Now, he goes on. Okay. I say this, not for your own conscience, but for the other, for the other. And then he says, 
Why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? All right. In other words, the other person doesn't have a right to judge his Christian freedom and that he can eat of that. That is his Christian freedom. And another person should not judge his conscience. His conscience. Um, but not to happen. Okay. Why should they judge his conscience? Because he says, if I partake with thanksgiving, why should I be, and the word is blasphemed, uh, for the very thing I give thanks for? Okay. Why should I be judged for eating this by another? when I'm giving thanks for it, which makes it acceptable to God. He's asking those questions. He's exerting his freedom. But then he quickly says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do not put up an offense for the Jew, or do not make an offense for the Jew, the Greek, or the church of God. Okay? And then he gives his motivation. His motivation. His motivation, he says, is to serve all everyone, and not to seek my own advantage, but the many in order that they may be saved. In other words, again, I'm willing to put aside my Christian freedom so that it does not get in the way of the gospel. The principle here is, does what you do tarnish the gospel or make it harder to save the one who is with you? That's the principle he's espoused. And it's with this argument that he closes the whole discussion of who'd offer to idol. In other words, Paul's ultimate goal is always to save. And he's not lying to let anything get in the way of that, even if he doesn't exercise his own Christian freedom. And that kind of ends the discussion that's been going on basically since chapter six about Christian freedom. And ultimately it comes down to this. You have to judge each situation and how it affects your witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every situation may be different. But you have to ask for God's 
assistance for the Holy Spirit to show you what to do in these cases. And we talked about a real-life case where you're having a party and, and that you're serving alcohol. You usually serve alcohol, but you know one of the people that's coming has a real problem with alcohol. Been through all kinds of, of uh, uh, rehab, and do you serve it or not? What is the best for you to do for the welfare of your Christian brother or sister. That's just an example. Because you're not going to be presented with food offered to idols. Okay. If it is, just eat it. Okay. But the fact is, uh, he's using this because it was a big issue in Corinth. Because there were so many, so many that worshipped idols, different idols in Corinth. And then he closes, really, verse, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, goes with before. Uh, because he says, uh, imitate me as I Christ, okay? As I seek to imitate Christ, so you seek to imitate me. Okay? All right. So before we move on, are there any questions? Yeah, Bud? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, what Bud is saying is this really spills over these la this last principle that Paul talks about to every aspect of life. If a person knows you're a Christian, then what you do and say is going to have a big effect on that person and what they believe about Christians. And your words and actions can make a huge difference as to what they believe about other Christians. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he's just saying that he has sought to take Christ's teaching and apply them to something like food offered to idols. And he believes this is the guidance of the Holy Spirit so he's being Christ-like, and that's if you should be like I am. Yeah. All right. Chapter 11 changes uh, things entirely. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to read some sections and then I'm going to comment on the whole section and not try to do this verse by verse. And you'll see why. Um, so let's look at chapter 2. And this is about the whole topic of head coverings. 
Now, I commend you because you remember me in everything and uphold the traditions that I delivered to you. I want you to understand or know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. Okay? But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. All right. Oh, this is going to be fun. First of all, how many of you can remember in a church where a woman had to wear a hat? Okay. Um, sometimes it was in the whole church. Uh, Joanne's home church, they had to wear it to take communion or to work uh, in the altar guild to be in the chants. Um, that was the practice, and in many churches, my the church I grew up in never never had any such thing. And it really depended on the church you went to. Well, ultimately, and uh, the 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 Senate uh, Commission on Theology and Church Relations studied this, and and. What we, what we realize here is Paul is not issuing a mandate for the whole church here. He usually, when he's doing that, he says the words, um, this is a command from the Lord, or this is for all the churches, or this is in every church. He does not say that. He does not say that. This was evidently something that was going on in Corinth. We don't have it mentioned in any of the other epistles to any other place. It was evidently going on in Corinth. And so he gives directives. Now, the ultimate principle here is this. It is saying that men and women should, in worship, conduct themselves with modesty and sensibility. With modesty and sensibility. Now, we're going to add some things to that. What was happening here is some were abandoning the traditional head covering, thus seeking to do away with the distinction between sexes. That sound familiar? 
There ain't nothing new under the sun, Solomon says. Seeking to do away with the distinction between sexes. Now, let's talk about several things here. Let's talk about this word headship. What does this mean? Well, um, it's based on the entire relationship between Christ and the church that is then extended to husband and wives. The greatest passage that teaches this is Ephesians chapter 5. And the verse that is really emphasized there is not wives be subject to your husbands. It's husbands love your wives as Christ gave, uh, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Headship means that men have the authority from God to serve and love their wives. To serve and love their wives. At no time is the relationship between husband and wife described in any way as coercion, force, or submission. It is totally out of love. Not lording it over them, not uh, and and let's look at this it's not demeaning it's not demeaning for jesus to be subject to god it's not demeaning for a man to be subject to christ and it's not demeaning for a wife to be subject to her husband because if you look at all those relationships they're based on loving service in the scriptures. Now, they may be described differently in this world, but they are based on loving service in the scriptures. What he's after here, do not blur the distinction of God's creation of man and woman. Do not blur the distinction. And do not dishonor God. Now, I, I think the biggest thing that this passage points out to us today is there's a whole lot of people that are not subject to God. They are not. They do not acknowledge God as the head. They do not. Acknowledge God as the head, the creator of all things, who has the authority to tell people what to do and not to do. And they totally reject that because they're not going to be under anyone's authority. So it starts at the top. It starts at the top. If you reject the authority of God, you're not going to accept the authority of any, anybody. 
No one. So we do not seek to blur the distinction. And what Paul is saying here is, um, it's one thing to not wear the head covering. If you want to blur the distinction all the way, then ladies just cut off all your hair. In other words, he's taking it to the extreme. He's taking it to the extreme. All right. So uh, let me give you some examples here of how we might translate this into situations today. And it's basically based on worship. Okay. Um, it would be inappropriate for a guy to show up uh, ready to do worship in the narthex in a swimsuit and sandals wearing a baseball cap. That dishonors God and your fellow worshiper. Okay? It would be inappropriate for a woman to show up provocatively dressed because it would dishonor God and, frankly, distract her fellow worshipers. Those are close parallels to today. It is a refusal to honor God and one another. Okay? But don't blur, don't blur the um, distinction because God has created it that way. And now he's going to explain what in verses 7 through 10. Okay? And I'll, I'll give you plenty of time for questions, but we kind of get to get it all on the table. Verse 7, For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Well, that's, that's a mouthful. Okay, what we're dealing with here is called the order of creation. The order of creation. And it's simply this. God made man. Okay. Woman came from man. The order of creation. It's pointing out here two things. Woman was sculpted from Adam's rib. And woman was created to be a helpmate for man. Okay. It is not denying that woman was made in the image of God. It is not denying that. It's just saying this is the order by which, in which they were created. Now, let's talk about the head covering for a moment. And this was at that time, all right? A head covering for a woman at that time 
was a symbol of dignity for the Christian woman. Okay? Oriental cultures wore veils. And it was a veil of honor, dignity, respect, and security. Now, I'll give you a modern-day example. If a woman is married, she wears a ring. That says she is a married woman. It's protection for her in many ways. It says hands off. She is united with another. So it speaks for her. That's what a veil or a head covering did in this culture. Okay? In this culture. It wasn't a sign of inferiority. It was a sign of dignity and honor for the Christian woman. Okay? So you see, these things automatically set off the world. They just blow up. But they don't understand what was going on. Now, having said that, why in the world does it say, do this because of the angels? Well, that's because throughout the Bible, angels are spoken of as being in worship with the people of God. We say it in our own service with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven. We laud and magnify your glorious name singing. It's just that they're present too. And that it's talking about good angels. It's talking about good angels. But um, it's, it's, uh, it's a good thing. Okay, I want to read the last section and make a couple of comments and we'll leave plenty of time for questions. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man nor man of woman. Now, here we go. They are the same. He is not saying one is better than the other. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So what he's saying here in this section is, 
Man can't do without woman, and woman can't do without man. Okay? The fact is, they are both sinful people under the Lord, and in the Lord, they are baptized, and they are heirs of heaven, and there is no distinction when it comes to salvation. He's saying men do not try to look like women, nor women do not try to look like men. In the church, God's glorious creation of man and woman must be respected and honored. There is a divine distinction here, and it must be upheld. And maybe it's not just like Corinth, but that distinction needs to be upheld in the church. It is honoring God's creation of man and woman, both marvelous creatures whom he has redeemed in Jesus Christ. They are his, but there is the order of creation. And every team has to have a leader. So, the order of creation is in effect as long as we're in this world. You see, the order of creation is needed when there is sin. When there is no sin, there's no need of an order of creation. And so these verses seek to tell us, and they apply to today, honor God's creation of men and women. All right, I'm going to stop there. Questions? But, yeah. Yeah. How things are structured. Yes. I think it's both. I think it's both applicable here. Not only the order in which it happened, but God's order and purpose for why it is. That's what I think both apply. Yeah, Steve. I have no idea. Well, um, I have no idea. Jesus had long hair. There were no barbers. There's the practical answer. No, I don't know. But, but yeah, I mean, you're right. But uh, it, it goes back to, are you trying to look like a woman? Or is the woman trying to look like a man? Well, yeah. Not so. So, um, but you can. He he's not saying he's not defining. He did. He does not define hairstyles, hairdos, any of that. Just general principle. Just general principle. Yes, ma'am. 
They do. They do. They speak uh, to, you know, so in the schools, are, what are you going to teach? This? Or you don't know what gender you are. I mean, this brings it home. This brings it home. You were created male and female. And when God made them, he said, behold, it was very good. Very good. This is where teaching about human sexuality needs to begin. It's God's creation. It's God's good gift. And you are a redeemed person in Christ, male or female. And everything flows from that. Everything flows from the identity of who you are. Because God made you who you're, you, you are the day you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son. So our tendency is to read these verses and say, well, head coverings, that, that doesn't apply to us. But the principles behind it do. They do speak out. Yes. 16. Okay, let's look at that. All right, 16. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. In other words, it's saying if you are trying to be contentious, that is not the practice of the church of God. We are not trying to be contentious. We are simply teaching what God has to say. It is not our intention to start fights. It is not our intention to create division. We're simply going to lay out the word of God. Okay. Is it what? Well, it, it shouldn't. Don't cause fights. That's not what Paul was trying to do. It's not what he's trying to do. But it does force people to look at this and say, I believe this or I don't. Okay. Nobody likes to be told what to do. If you are sitting here today and you like to be told what to do, raise your hand. Well, yeah, but you accept that, but you don't like to be told what to do. No. <laughs> but, uh, it... yeah, and, but this is, this is actually a, a comment. He's actually dealing with what's going on in the church and how this is disrupting what's going on in the church. 
Um, and, and of course, you know, when there is contention in the church, what does it say outside the church? It destroys the witness. So, but here he's dealing with something that's evidently going on between Christian. And, and we've dealt with this long enough now, and you know this, church in Corinth was a mess. It was just a mess, okay? And that's why he had to write this letter, because he deals with many issues. The next one is a big one. The next issue is the Lord's Supper. Next issue, and they had issues with that too. Yes. I don't think so. Well, we are pretty, uh, it, the, the, as we study this, we are pretty sure that there were definite examples of women putting aside this, putting it aside, and uh, um, trying to do away with the distinction. Okay? And we're pretty certain that was going on, which is why he commented. Okay? And basically what he says is, if you're going to do it, go all the way. Just shave your head. I mean, he's being a little obnoxious, but, but that's what he's saying. All right, other things. All right. Next week, we definitely start the Lord's Supper, and that will take us a bit. In fact, we're going to be on worship matters for some time now through the rest of chapter 11 and into chapter 12, where we're going to be dealing with, with matters that were occurring in worship. Uh, not only the Lord's Supper, but we're also going to deal with spiritual gifts. Um, the whole thing about spiritual gifts. So uh, all of this has to do ultimately with our worship life. Okay? Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.